Mark is a, is is amazing. We're going to study the book of Mark, chapter eleven, the first part of it. And so, if you have a Bible, it may be a little bit different. I'm reading the New Living Translation for future reference. Most of the time, not always, I will read and preach from the New Living Translation, and uh, sometimes the NIV. Sometimes I'll throw New King James in there. Uh, sometimes the Christian Standard. So you know, who knows? Just grab them all. You know. Uh, on your phone, you can have the U version. You can have different translations. But if you have a Bible, Mark 11, because I love studying the Word of God. How many of us love to study the Word of God? All right. Sometimes I can get into a rut where I don't want to read the Word of God. But when I dig into God's Word and God reveals something to me that my spirit goes, wow, I needed that. And it could be a scripture you've read for a, a million times. And if you read it, like I do, I, I sit there and go, God, help me to understand this brand new. Because when I was first a Christian, I, could, I just soaked up the Bible like a sponge, you know. Uh, I was part of Bible quiz, which is nerdy, you know. It's a Bible, it's a Christian nerd. Like you want to s- s- memorize the book of Acts so that you can be quizzed on it later and you have a little buzzer. And then, I mean, that's nerdy. None of my buddies in school ever wanted to do that. Most of them were not Christian, but um, I... My, my prayer is that you would not only dig deeper in the Word of God, but you would, you would apply it to your lives, that I would apply it to my lives. I would live it out. That what Jesus says goes, okay? So how many of us understand that Jesus is our Savior? Okay, we need to be saved, but He's our Lord. He's our Master. He's our King. And there's a difference between a Savior, like if I'm drowning in, in the Dorshak Reservoir and someone saves me, uh, I, I, I'm going to follow after them, but I don't need to worship them. The difference between Jesus and that, he, it's like he did rescue us from drowning. And, but he is actually our king of kings. And so sometimes we're like, thanks, Jesus. I got this from now. You, you saved me. Now that I'm all dry, I'm on dry ground. I'm on solid ground. Now I can take care of this for myself. And the reality is every single one of us know that you can't handle everything on your own. At least I can. I mean, maybe you can. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to point fingers at you. I can't handle every little detail in my life alone. I need someone that's bigger, that knows more than me, that knows the beginning from the end. He gives me the road map, and sometimes the road map, you don't know how curvy the road really is. I've been on a road for, a, you know, when we went on a road trip a long time ago through Nevada, I feel like that road went straight for like a, a million miles. You could see, like, I... I Anybody ever been on the hi- the highway, that freeway that goes like to Reno and stuff like that and Utah? It's ridiculous. I mean, that wouldn't it be nice if that's how life was? You're driving down, you can see, okay, there's a rest stop there, there's a restaurant right there, there's a gas station. Uh, oh, that gas station, a lot of those places are closed down in ghost towns, but beside the point, your, your journey with God is not a straight shot. It's the windiest, curviest road. And a lot of times, not always, a lot of times, you can't see the map, all of it. You can see what's right in front of you, maybe. If you look down, you're like, okay. Oh, now you're going that way. Okay? You just, you can't see clearly exactly. And that's okay. You need to trust the King of Kings, the Lord, who knows exactly what's going on. And so, we have been studying Mark for a long time. And uh, week 17... And I was practicing this yesterday at home, or maybe it was Friday. And Lydia said, well, it doesn't seem like 17 weeks. And I go, that was a compliment. I really do. I was like, hey, my wife is not going to make that up, right? But for, all, for those of us who think it's too long, whatever, you know, it's fine. 
I like studying the Word of God. I know you do too. And so what he's been doing, he's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been casting out demons. He's been feeding crowds twice at least. He's been calming storms. He's been walking on water. And, and lately in the story, Jesus has shifted his, because I know what's going on from this point on, for the rest of the book of Mark, it's going to, it's going to one goal, the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Right? So this story in Mark 11 begins the final week of Jesus. So I'm going to begin to study some scripture that you already know. Okay? You know the last week. You know Passion Week, if you want to call it that. It is from the point of the story now to the resurrection to the ascension. Okay? There's a week. And um, I, I love this because ultimately Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's going, hey, by the way, I've got to suffer, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise from the down the third day. And every disciple said, Jesus, I, can, I know more than you. And he just goes, Peter goes, you know, you just don't understand Jesus at all. That's not the Messiah. That's not the king that I want. And Jesus goes, you don't even understand what it means for me to be your king. Like, I'm the king that you need, not what you want. We, we make Jesus in our own image. He's just, he's like, I look in the mirror and I see, or I look at the picture of Jesus, I go, okay, I see Joel just a little bit better, right? Just a little bit. But I go, this week I'm sitting there going, Lord Jesus, help me to understand how big you really are, how mighty you really are, how much you really do know, and how smart and wise and all-knowing you are, and how much you do care about me. I love that. And so Jesus, his popularity is rising, and actually in Mark chapter 11 is the beginning of the end. Okay, how many of us know people that they was, maybe it's you, you were once popular, you were, you were top dog in your school, and then something happened, and all of a sudden you went, right? There was a rumor that happened. There was something that occurred, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you tripped and fell down the stairs. I think that happened to me in junior high, I can't remember. I was already not popular, so it didn't matter, okay? Uh, but you're, you're, you're Mr. Popular, and all of a sudden something happens to you, and your popularity just, so, like, dies instantly. That's what happened to Jesus. In Mark chapter 11, he's so popular, they are ready, and we've, we've mentioned this before, but this moment, they're, they're ready to, king, they're ready to crown him king. And the king that they want him to be is not who Jesus really is. So let's look at Mark chapter 11. Because who is Jesus, again, we've asked this a lot, but who is Jesus really? Who do you make Jesus to be? Who is, do you make Jesus out to be just some random dude? Like, hey, we, you know, you're, you're, you're good, you're a good God, but you're not worthy, you're not worthy to, for me to surrender my life to you. And that's exactly what they did. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read the story and then we'll kind of put it in chunks here. But as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that has that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asked, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Everybody say the Lord. Okay, that's important. He's not saying just some good teacher. He's saying the Lord, capital L. Okay, this is a huge word here. He, the Lord needs it and he will return it soon. The two disciples left, and they found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, 
what in the world are you doing? I added a few words there, but some, uh, they, you're untying that colt. What are you doing? They said what Jesus told them to say, and they, per, they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Okay, I want you to think about the details here. Garments. What were they? What garments? They're taking their outer robes off, their outer clothing. They're left with their underclothing. Their under, we call it underoos for like underwear, but the undershirts, underwear. They were given their most expensive clothing. Okay? How many of us, we had to make our own shirt this morning before we went to church? Well, I think I bought this at Walmart or Target. I don't remember. Okay, it's easy. But they had to get the very expensive cloth and make it and, and we even do all that kind of stuff. Then they just kind of gave it and put it right on the ground and on the donkey, let Jesus literally sit on it. Many in the crowd, they spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the field. How many of us know when you're walking down a, when you're watching someone walk down a road with an animal, what happens on that road with the animal? What, what do they, what do they leave? You know, have you ever noticed that? Little droppings, little presents for the whole community. And then some pooper scooper has to clean it up afterwards. How many of us have ever been one of those, right? And it, no? Um, I was asked one time and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. But you go behind them and you, so this is what's going on in this. This is what they're dropping here on this, on this, these garments. This is a very vital thing. They're very valuable items because we don't think clothing is, it could be expensive, but we never had to, I, don't, I never had to make them. Okay. I just bought my shirt. And then when I was a kid, my mom and dad, they'd take me to like Kmart or something or Value Village. It was like Goodwill. And they said, pick out a shirt, you know, get some clothing. And that's, it was, it was just like, like supernaturally it just showed up. I was like, Oh, I like that shirt. This one's got the Mariners logo on it. This one's got the Sonics logo, Seahawk logo, but they had to make that and they're just putting it on the road and others, they spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was at the center of the procession. So let's say that right now, who is the focal point right here? It's Jesus, of course. This is a parade for Jesus, and the crowd is there. It is He is so popular. They are laying garments. They're putting leafy branches. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I mean, fanning him, there's a reason for that, and they're laying it on the ground so that the colt can trample on this very important thing, these two important things, this clothing and these leaves. Leave, leave, these, uh, it says here, there's leafy branches. But... The people all around him were shouting. Now, I like the NIV, I like the other translations better for this because it says what? Hosanna, right? Hosanna! Everybody heard that word? Hosanna! Praise God according to this. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This has become a worship service, if you want my honest opinion. This is, they're quoting scripture. They're quoting a psalm. We'll read that in just a little bit. They're quoting a psalm. They know exactly what it means, except these Jesus, we're going to talk about this a little bit because these same people that are worshiping Jesus one minute, they turn around the next minute and they crucify him. They, they, they shout. Remember when the crowd, when they were saying, who should we, should we release Barabbas? Or should we release Jesus? And they wanted to mass murder out. This is ridiculous. 
but you need to crucify him. These same people who are bowing down to him, who are worshiping, who are saying, Hosanna in the highest. So, and this is a week. What can change in just a week if we don't ground ourselves on truth, if we don't ground ourselves in true, honest worship with God and say, Lord, I worship you with all my life, but I, talk is cheap. It's not just about my words, Lord. It's not even just about raising my hands. It's not even about physically kneeling, even though I do that once in a blue moon. Okay? It is not only about that. It is about my life. I worship God with my life. I worship God with the way that I live. Now, I fail. I fail at that. Thank God that we have a good, good father. Thank God that we don't mess up. And he goes, and he, you know, gets out. And there's nothing wrong with this. I think physical, like, like if you have a spanking when you were a kid, it probably did you some good, right? Now that you're a little older, right? But it's not like God said, okay, I want you to go in the back of the shed and I want you to get a switch and I want you, I want to go back there. He beats you until you're bloody pulp. And then he says, now go on that field and keep walking and never come back. He doesn't do that. He's a good God. But we need to be very careful. I need to be very careful to make worship and make praise about some song or some I kneel or I lift up my hands to make a show of it. But my worship, my praise to God, to King Jesus, it needs to be about my life. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes, and I love singing. I'm loud. I turn on Alexa at home and I sing. I do, that's why I do, that's why I'm okay with doing the dishes, you know, this might seem weird, but it gives me opportunity to listen to the music on Alexa I want to. And they can't say, I don't like that song. Because I'm like, hey, I'm doing the dishes, I can choose the song. Any song that I want. But these people were, I mean, at this second, they were going, praise God! Hosanna! So Jesus, he came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. Now pause for a minute, because not so long after this, he's going to go back to the temple. He just has a little preview of what the temple looks like and what's going on. And when he's at the temple, after looking around carefully at everything, what's he doing? He's watching interactions, what's going on in the temple. How many of us know that in the temple there were not good things happening? In the temple, Jesus had to do something later on. Because these people are distracted on many things. They're not even focused on the main deal. And so he says, this is interesting, he left because it was late in the afternoon. He looked at his watch, and he goes, you know, I think we need to go back to the t town and go take a nap. Okay. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So here we have the famous Palm Sunday text that I skipped on Palm Sunday on purpose. You've probably been to a church in your lifetime that spoke from this text or one like it uh, on Palm Sunday. So this is the week before Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the victory of Jesus, but a lot has to take place between the two events. He goes from victory to victory, but right between there's a lot of negativity that goes on. It seems like in the, in the flesh that there's negative stuff going on. But it, actually, we know that Jesus is victorious. And so I chose to postpone this scripture until today. Look at verse, let's zoom in on verse 7 through 9. It says, then they brought, 
the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. I, lo I love that, Mark, leafy branches. Okay, Mark, give me a little bit more detail. Okay, I want you to say something I've said from the beginning of the series. Mark, he doesn't, he, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. He cuts the fat of the story. There is not a lot of detail in any story. He wants to get to the point. Ultimately, he wants you to understand that Jesus is active. He's busy doing ministry, but he's active and he's on his way to the cross, dying for the sins of the world and resurrecting. That's the point of Mark. But the reality is we see leafy branches, but it is interesting because I'm not going to read it, but John 12 tells us specifically it was branches of a palm tree, Palm Sunday. Okay, and the reason, when I think about palm trees, I think about Southern California, right, uh, when we would go down there back when your mom lived there, and uh, there were palm trees. And for some reason down there, they put, like, fake grass in there right by their houses. It was weird. Like, it was just odd. But they had big, tall trees. And it also reminds me of when I went to Hawaii after graduation, and I got to sit on the beach, got to swim in the water, got to go to Starbucks right across the street and come right there and drink there. It, that's what it reminds me of. So it reminds me of vacation, a real vacation, like true vacation. But when it comes to them, there is it symbolized, what did the, what did the palm tree represent? It, it, it did signify peace, but it also symbolized political and military victory. You would often wave palm branches to generals and kings who came back from war victorious, and he brought back a victory, and he, he brought back peace to the land. So that's what it represents, because, in fact, a generation before Jesus showed up, there was a guy in Jerusalem, a military leader named Simon Maccabee. You can look him up. His name is either Simon Maccabee or Simon Maccabeus. It depends on uh, that there is, there is two pronunciations of his name, but Simon Maccabee, he was a general, he was a leader, and Jerusalem was under attack, and he came in there, and he was, he, he defeated the enemy, and he comes back just like Jesus, and they do exactly, they cut palm branches, and they fan him, they lay it on the ground, Simon Mac Maccabee is on this, he's on this uh, horse, and he's coming back in there going, I am victorious, and the people go, we realize, Simon, that you are a leader of leaders, you are victorious, you are a winner, if you will, you're a winner, and we want to follow you. So this generation of people are, are reminded of that same thing. Because it only happened a generation before Jesus. And so when they, when they, when they study Jesus, they've been following Jesus for a few years now going, you know what? I, hey, do you think that, who do you, who do you think Jesus is? And there's a guy who goes, I don't really know, but I think that he's the Messiah. I think that we've been studying about that guy when we were young. Remember, remember in that class or remember that we're talking about the Messiah? He, I think he's it. And then someone would say, well, what do you think that means? Well, let's see. Rome is in charge right now. I think that means that he's going to come in here, swoop in there. He's going to fly in and he's going like Superman and he's going to go up to the Rome and he's going to go and then he's going to take him and throw him into the, into the Mediterranean Sea and let him drown. And that's, and then that, that Messiah is going to be, he's going to be the new king. He's going to be elevated physically. We're going to go, yeah, you're the king. You're the master. But, and they were ready to do it right now. Boom. 
when they were waving palm branches, when they were doing the leaves on the ground, when they were taking their garments and throwing it on the ground, they were saying Jesus was victorious right then, right there. We're crowning you. The little did they, little did they know what would happen in less than a week. This king, this victorious king was going to die. That's like Simon Maccabee going in the middle of battle. He went, he's winning. He's winning. He's my, he's, he's the king. He's my general. Good, good, good. And then he dies. Then you go, well, he's not king. He's not my winner. He's not the winner. He's, he's a loser. So they are ready to crown him king of kings. But the problem is Jesus is not the kind of king that they were looking for. That's why they killed him. That's why the people who were so adamant about worshiping him, Come on, King Jesus, were the very ones that said, crucify him. We don't want you anymore. We want to release this mass murderer to the crowd just because we don't like this Jesus. Well, wait a minute. I just thought you just were just bowing down to him. The reality is talk is cheap. Worship is cheaper. Because worship, to be honest with you, I don't want to take things, because I love, I, I love music. I love worship through music. I do. I really do. I, if I'm having a rough day, all I need to do is turn on some worship music and I'm better. I get 100%. But it's cheap. It doesn't cost me anything. I don't even have to buy worship CDs anymore. I find it online, right? I used to have to buy the music, take them home, open up the CD, put it in the CD player. I don't have to do it. It's cheap. It doesn't cost me anything. Does God love our music? Of course he does. But it's not about him like listening on his headphones and he's just going like this, just kind of beaten to the music. He goes, this is about me. Why can God do that? Because he's God. He's God. He can demand our worship. And I look, I look at Jesus dying on the cross. I go, not only can he demand it, I think reverse turn it to me or us. He deserves it. Look what Jesus is willing to go through. So the main point I want you to get today is that while Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they wanted, Jesus was the kind of king that they needed. They just didn't know they needed it. Jesus, he was so loving, and he realized that they were lost. He realized that these individuals who were bowing down to him, he knew these same people, this talk is cheap, and they're about to get rid, they're going to get rid of me. They're going to give up on me very quick. And so, it's easy in our country, in our world, in our lives, to think that in, in, in they were ready to make him political king. And I want to be very, I want to be very careful here because I love our country. I love the United States. I do. And if anyone has ever hung out with me, you can. I am, I am political. I'm not as loud as some people, but I, you know, you know, I, I get, I get excited about political uh, debate. Anybody else? Like when the debates on TV, you're like, me and Hayden, we, we had like when. <laughs> The last presidential debate, I went to the store and got these uh, jelly bellies that were red, white, and blue, and we're all eating those, watching the debate, and I really loved it. I mean, I loved it, but it's so easy to go if I could, if if we could just get the right political party in power, or the right cabinet, or the right senators, or the right house people, or the people right in charge of this, the right president, then everything will be fine. And I want to just for the second, just for the sake of argument, I want to be, I understand that argument. I do. Trust me. 
But we need, this, this country needs more than that. We as a country and we as a world, I'm not going to just pick on our country. We as a world, this world needs more than just the right political party just to make all the right decisions and do this and do that. Those would help, but it wouldn't solve the deeper issues. Jesus came not as a political king, not to come in and grab the crown off of King Herod and, and, and the, and, uh, like all the, the Roman, all the Roman people that were in charge of that and the king there. He, he didn't grab their crown and just run away with it and then put a crown on him. He didn't do that at all. He came to this world as a king, as a humble king, to die for us. They, Jesus isn't that kind of king often people want because they put, and we have put Jesus as our own, in our own image. But he is the kind of king that we need. There's a few reasons for that. Number one, we need it. What we need, what do we really need? We need a king with authority and power over sin in this world. This, don't get too excited. This world celebrates sin, right? They celebrate sin. I said this last week, but sin is celebrated like righteousness is mocked. You do the right thing, you're mocked. You live for God, you're mocked. You sin, we honor you. We celebrate you. We lift you up on the stage and you go, oh, we're, you know, this is awesome. Let's celebrate. So we are in a position in the world that we're in, we're in trouble. So we need something more than just, oh, let's just get, let's just get this person there. Let's get this person out. This would help, but it would only solve surface level problems in our world. We need something deeper than that. We need a king with authority, with power over sin in this world. Jesus was that king. In fact, Mark 11.3, I mean, I could not, it could not, I couldn't say it better. Jesus goes, if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord. That is the capital L, cap, and it should be capital L, capital O, capital R. This is one of the titles for God. This is the one that's in charge. This is the authority. This is God, almighty God. Almighty God, that's what he's saying. He's not just saying, oh, a Lord, a king. He's saying Lord of lords, king of kings, master. That's what he's saying. Just say the Lord. In fact, that's exactly, there was two prophets that prophesied this, Malachi and Zechariah, if you're taking notes. 500 years before this happened, these two individuals had a prophecy. The first one is kind of generic in a sense. You'll kind of recognize it a little bit. The second one's very specific. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the Lord, everybody say the Lord. Huh, interesting. Jesus might know what he's talking about. He knew his Bible. Okay, he memorized his Bible. But the Lord that you're seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Where did Jesus end up going? To the temple. Okay, this is one. It can, you can, some of us who could look at that and go, well, that can be talking about any, any instance. Then you look at, then you look at Zechariah 9, 9. And I'm telling you, this, it has, I mean, Jesus knew his Bible. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Where is Jesus coming? Jerusalem. See, your king, everybody say king. Now, this is an interesting phrase here. I like this. Your king comes to you righteous 
and victorious. Pause for just a moment. Maybe that's why they're ready to crown him political king right then, right there. He's victorious, but they didn't read the rest of the, the verse. He comes lowly. I don't use that word in normal conversation, right? I'm just, I'm just a little lowly little individual. Poor me. A lowly little pastor with a lowly little family, little. But that is, it's almost like, you know, in the, I've, you know, it's like, and I'm trying to think of like a huge, uh, it, like a picture in my mind. I think about these giants coming into this land and they come into the land of all these little ants. You have the one, you have the one, uh, giant. You have Goliath. He's walking down this and then he looks down and all he sees is these little ants and he just kind of goes, ping, right? And he just keeps doing that. This is what Jesus, he's, yes, he's a king. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's victorious. But let, guess what? He's coming lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Are you, wait, so no horse? No white horse? No, no, no war horse? Okay, so he is a victorious king who comes not on a stallion and he's riding down, he's riding down Main Street in Jerusalem and his hair is flowing in the wind and he's like Fabio and he's coming in here, come on! No, he's coming in there as a lowly king. Who knows what he has to do in the next week? But this is the, this is the, this is what Mark is doing. He's letting you know that Jesus is fulfillment of scripture. This is just one. But you might look at this and go, eh, big deal. Like even him going in, going into Jerusalem. This is a huge deal. He's not just a good teacher. He is not just a, just a preacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a cast out of demon person. He, that's not who he does those things, but that is not ultimately who he is at his core. He is king. He is righteous. He is victorious. And if I could look at all those people from Jerusalem at that time and said, listen, keep reading your Bibles. You miss Jesus. You miss God right in front of you. You, you wanted to crown him king, but you didn't even know what that meant. We need a king with authority and power over sin in this world because our world's got a problem. And it's bigger than just, we, we, we do have problems in our world. We have problems in our country. We have problems in our town. I get it. But those are surface level problems. There's deeper stuff, deeper rooted issues that I think we can all understand those that if you deal with the top problem, you still don't deal with the, you don't deal with the root. So we need to deal with the root and Jesus does that. He deals with the root problem. Number two, we need a king. I love this one. We need a king with humility and compassion for sinners in this world. I love this because not only is Jesus righteous, he's humble. How many of you guys have ever seen, maybe you haven't seen, maybe a movie, you've seen kings or royalty or presidents or uh, political figures. I mean, they demand utmost respect at all times. Now, uh, 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 you don't, don't even look at me, right? You don't even look at me. You shine my shoes, you bow down, kiss, kiss my ring, right? And you think about even the, the king of England, Charles. It was a celebration. It was epic. I don't know if this happened literally, but I thought about in my mind was people would bow down, maybe kiss the ring of the king. It makes sense. I'm American, so I don't get the king thing. But, 
for, for a lot of countries, royalty. And they can demand all sorts of stuff. And they can go, Dwayne, you haven't kissed the ring enough. Get out of my presence. Get out of here. Get out of here. And Jesus, when he came into this world, he didn't come in there with this look at me attitude. He came in here as a lowly person going into Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey. And he came with humility. And he came with compassion for sinners in this world. He came to Jerusalem not in riches, but in poverty. He came not in majesty, but in meekness. I want you to look at a detail that Luke adds to the story. Now, the important thing to read in any gospel, especially stories that are all four, you need to read all four of them. What you're going to find in Luke and John, you're going to find so much detail. That's why when you read Luke or John, you're like, this is long. Like, oh, my word. There's so much detail that Mark's like, I'm going to cut the fat, and you're just going to get the meat. And I go, Mark, let me get some more detail. And Mark, he would just go, just ask Luke. He'll tell you. Okay? And he, he says something about Jesus when he gets into Jerusalem that shows us the compassion for the sinners that are in the, in the community of Jerusalem. It says, Luke 19, verse 41 through 44, but as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, what did he do? He began to what? Weep. Weeping is not just crocodile tears or just... You know, just blowing your nose a little bit. He, it's his ugly cry, snot, weeping, because he sees the people of it. And he says this, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Don't miss that phrase. But now it's too late. Everybody say too late. That's sad. The people of Jerusalem, He's riding in on a, on a donkey and he sees the community. He sees the people worshiping him and he says, it's too late. Why is that? Well, look, it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Wow. Wait. That's sad. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Why? Here it is. This is their problem. They were worshiping him. They were bowing down to him. They were stripping off their shirts and their robes and their everything. Put it down. They were cutting off leafy branches and fanning him and, and, and putting it down there and going, right, come on. But you did not recognize it when God visited you. In other words, Jesus knows their heart. Jerusalem was outward focused. Let's worship you. Let's crown you right now. But you don't have the mind of God. That's what Jesus said about Peter. He's not thinking clearly about the way that I'm thinking. You're thinking man-made thoughts. You're thinking in the flesh. You need to think the thoughts of God, because God's thoughts are different than ours, but they're infinitely better. And he goes to Jerusalem, and we know that they bow down to him, they worship him, but he gets there on this donkey, and he looks to Jerusalem in the distance, and he goes, he starts weeping. I kind of think about him with Lazarus, weeping with Lazarus. There's a death. 
And he looks at Jerusalem the same way as Lazarus, a death. Jerusalem is dead spiritually. But this time, for him, he goes, it's too late. Because these this generation of people, they were like, we don't want you, Jesus. We want to make you this king that we have made you to be. We want to worship you, but let us worship you in our way. Let, 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 me, let it be really about me when I worship. And I know churches don't do that anymore. Churches, we always make it about Jesus when we worship. No church has ever argued over worship music, anything. It's not true. I've been involved in those. We miss the point of worship. We miss the point of life. And it's about Jesus. It's for Jesus. And Jesus weeps. And who weeps? Someone with compassion for his people going, he's so heartbroken over that generation of people. See, Jesus knew that in 40 years, in 70 A.D., what happened to Jerusalem in 70 A.D.? The temple was destroyed and the city was destroyed. 70 A.D. It's in history. It's not in the Bible. That's history. Okay, so he knew what he was talking about, even though this was written before that even happened. That the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and it wouldn't be rebuilt for a long, 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 long time. We need a king with compassion over sinners, including us. Number three, this is personal version of part one, of number one. We need a king who can save us from our sin. We need a king to save us from our sin. Look at Mark chapter 11. Let's look at verse 9 through 10. We already read it, but I'm reading it from the NIV this time. Those who went on ahead and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I love that. Because Hosanna is definitely a a praise word. Like you're going to praise God saying Hosanna, but it literally means Lord save us. They're crying out, save us. But they don't even understand what that really means. They mean politically. Save me from Pontius Pilate. Save me from King Herod. Save me from that entire family of Herod. Save me from it. Save me from Rome, that evil, wicked place. Save me from it. They don't even realize what they're even asking when they say, save me, Lord. In fact, they're actually shouting Psalm 118. So they knew the word of God. Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26. Lord, save us. That's Hosanna. Okay? Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's exactly what they're shouting. Every one of them is shouting from this psalm. That's how much they know the Bible. They know the Bible, yet Jesus weeps over them. Why is that? Bible knowledge is, is important. Don't get me wrong. If, if, if our Bible's stuck over here and we're over here and we haven't open it for a while, it's, it may be time to crack open the Bible. You know, you can start with Genesis you want to, maybe start with Mark. I don't know. Or Luke or John or wherever you want to start. We need to be in the Word of God. But for some people, we can be so head, heady that our, we have a big Bible 
knowledge had just floating around, but our heart is shriveled. We need more than just knowledge in the head. We need a king who's going to heal us. Number four, we need a king who gives us peace with God. When Jesus was talking about a key, with peace in the Bible, in this in these instances we'll talk about in just a second, he was talking about his peace with God. It reminds me of uh, that Billy Graham. He always talked about pe- steps to peace with God. I always listen to him on the radio. He's got the, the XM radio channel, Billy Graham, and a lot of it's, you, this is how, and I don't even have the accent right, so I'm not going to do it. You need to have peace with God, you know, and this is how you do it. And I go, help me, Billy. Come on, Billy. I want to know. Come on, Mr. Graham. I want to help help me. But this is what Jesus, he wants, we need a king who can give us peace with God. See, kings, physical kings in history, they would ride on a war horse when they're going into battle. Big stallion. This I'm coming in there to win, but we're battling. But when they came back, when they were at times of peace, they would they would take away the, the, the horse and they'd ride on a donkey because that donkey represented we are in a time of peace. So this is very strategic when Jesus rides on a donkey. This is not just, uh, it's just the horse was down the road on a different street, so you better get the donkey because it was closer. No, they chose it on purpose because Jesus was letting the people know he's offering peace to all, not political peace, because when Jesus died, was buried and resurrected, did you know Rome didn't fall right away? In fact, Nero, Caesar Nero, was the one that killed a lot of them. He burned Christians at the stake. This is after Jesus. Burned Christians at the stake. He, he, he did all, he, he burned down Rome just and blamed it on them. So Jesus didn't, when he died and re- was buried and resurrected and he, and he went to be the Father, Rome was still in power. The enemy did was not destroyed on this earth because Jesus knew there is something even more than that. We need peace with God. Remember when the passage in Luke we read earlier, it said, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. The way to peace, the road to peace. I He goes, I wish you knew the road to peace. You know the way to peace? Jesus. There was, he was standing right in front of them. Dwayne, I wish you knew the way to peace. It's right here. But you're missing it. That's what he said. We need a way to peace. He is the way to peace. He is peace. And last but certainly not least, this is huge. We need a king who can heal our hearts. I've said this a million times. I'm not going to get the story. I come from a, my background is, I, I was wounded in my heart a lot. And it affected everything about my life. It affected my relationship with God, everything. And there was a moment where God blessed my pastor who recognized it and was able to be honest with me. Because you can't, you can't grow in Christ if you don't deal with this. I said, Really? No, 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 I love God. No, 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 it's not about that. It's about growing in Christ. Disciple, he discipled me. And I had a very broken, wounded heart. And I never used the term. He used that term. And I kid you, when I, when I, when I relinquished my heart to, to Jesus, he healed it. 
Now, there's times where I slip, right? We all do, right? We kind of go back to our old ways. That's not who I am. Why am I over here? But I can't, I'm not lying. When it comes to a wounded heart or a broken heart or you, you just, every, the, the world's just been against you, just fiery darts against you, boom, 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 boom. You need a king who's going to heal those wounds. You, you don't need duct tape over them. You don't need a band-aid. You don't need any, you need a new heart. You need a brand new heart. And we're not going to, because in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, he said Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple courts. Now we're going to talk later about Jesus actually going into the temple because at that moment, he just, I think he just looked around and went, I'll deal with you later. And then he goes and goes back home, goes back to Bethany and he comes back later. But just know this, and we know this from Luke. Their hearts were sick. The people of God needed a king who would heal them. Now, as we close, I want to read from Revelation because he's not, he's not coming back as a lowly king. He came to this earth as a baby. He came to Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. And now he's coming back and it's a little cut off there. So, pardon me here. It says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, Then I saw heaven opened up, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except for him. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and the title, his title was the Word of God. Who is this talking about? Jesus, of course. The armies of heaven, heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. This is not lowly here. This is a king. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I love that. Another translation says that it's on his robe and his thigh. So I kind of have evidence that Jesus has a tattoo. And I told that to someone at the store that was not, it's a joke, it's not really a tattoo, but it's written on his thigh, you know, and someone was like, no, it's not a tattoo, but, it, you know, it's written on his thigh. But this is what it is. King of all kings and what? Lord of all lords. So my question is, we close the prayer. Everybody's eyes closed. One day, Jesus is coming back. It could be today where every knee will bow down, every tongue confess, no matter what we do here on earth, we're going to bow down. Will you choose Jesus today as your king? Will you submit to his authority? Will you make Jesus your king? What does that mean? You don't just, you're not all talk. He is authority. He is your authority. He is what is, he's righteous. He is victorious. Will you make him your king? Heavenly Father, we do right now. I know talk is cheap, but I do pray right now that we would get the ball rolling, initiate this, Lord, that you have desired us to not just be all talk, but you've desired a relationship where you are in charge. You are the authority. You are the king. You're a king of kings. You're a lord of lords. It's written on you for all eternity that that's who you are. 
So God, I pray that we would be challenged today to go deeper than just worshiping through song, lifting up our hands. I pray that we would worship you through our life, through who, that's who we are. We are worshipers. We worship you with our life, not just our words. We thank you for this time. I pray blessings on each one of us and the fathers in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Don't